Yeah, well, you can clap. That was good. <laughs> Great worship. I want to start this morning by reading the Word. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start at verse 31. Matthew 25 and verse 31. Now, you all know this story. This is the parable of the sheep and the goats. So let me, let me read this for you. When the, when the son of... <laughs> getting a little thrown off there. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, through Jesus, your Son, you have given us salvation. You've given us the commission to pass the message of the good news to others. As we consider hospitality as a way to share your message this morning, we ask that you will reveal yourself in your word and in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, which we just read, carries both an encouragement and a very stern warning about reaching out to others. It's about what we do or don't do for others for the sake of Christ. Now, one of the purposes for existence as a church is found in the words of Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. It says, go and make disciples. Now, if that's true, our whole worldview should be shaped by that, because much of what we do should be viewed through and judged as to whether or not it accomplishes that commission. As a church, we're made up of individuals, 
It's not just the church as a group, you know, an unnamed group or, or a body that doesn't have a face. We are individuals who make up this body of Christ. And we are responsible for reaching out and disciple-making, but also the individuals who make up the church, right? So, so it works together. Um, Jesus' parable talks about two groups. It talks about the sheep, and it talks about the goats. It talks about the sheep as the faithful servants of Christ who used every opportunity that they had to show the love of Jesus, especially in what they had done for those people who were in need. These are, are characterized by agape, the love of Christ, that love that includes compassion. Their Christianity is genuine. The goats, on the other hand, are the unfaithful servants, and their main loyalty is not to God, but to, really to themselves. They've squandered opportunities that Christ has given them, and they've been rejected by Christ himself as a result. They're characterized by selfishness and apathy, and their Christianity really isn't genuine. Now, works don't get us to heaven. We need to say that right up front. It's not our works that get us where we're going. But works are the sign of an authentic Christianity. If, if those things don't start coming out of us, if we're not serving on behalf of Christ and serving those that Christ calls us to serve, then there is a question, perhaps, about whether or not we know the Lord himself. There are a lot of lessons that we can pull out here today. It's one of those things where we could talk about, about you know, maybe do a whole series on hospitality. But, but this morning I want to narrow in on one thing, and it's found in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 25. And that's it's this uh, verse here, this one right here, you know, that one right there. There it is. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You know, hospitality is an aspect of outreach that we don't really talk about. You know, we talk about, you know, share, how to share your faith and how to, how to say the right words and what words to say and what scriptures to use and, you know, the ones you're supposed to memorize and all those kinds of things. But, but what about this hospitality, this sharing of ourselves and sharing of our home and sharing of this place to reach others for Christ? It's kind of like evangelism. You know, we think of evangelism as something somebody else will do. We think of evangelism as something only those people who have the gift of evangelism will do. And hospitality, we sometimes think of it that way. Well, there are people with the gift of hospitality. We know them, but we think it, you know, well, that's relegated to them. But really, it's something all of us, all of us are called to do. And, uh, and this parable really kind of hits that on the head. It doesn't allow us to kind of skip over and ignore those things. In Christ Jesus, we are all responsible to feed, to clothe, to house, if necessary, those who are without. There's a great New Testament word for hospitality. In fact, it, it appears... Uh, about four or five, six times maybe uh, in the New Testament. And, and this word is made of two parts. The first part is philo, which means love. And the second is, is Xenia, who's a warrior princess that you all know from television. No, that's Xena. Xenia means strangers. And so you put those together, 
you have hospitality means the love of strangers. The love of strangers. Well, that gives things a little different spin, doesn't it? Takes us maybe in a slightly different direction. According to Calvin Cummings, a, great, uh, a scholar who I was reading online the other day, he says, he says, this hospitality is a love where there is a strong emotion. It's having a feeling of affection that comes out in word and deed. And it loves deeply because it reflects Jesus' love in us. So it's not just something we do kind of casually. It's something we do because we feel called to do it and because of this love that, that's coming out of us. And it gets expressed in this way where we love other people and we welcome those who need welcoming. So when Jesus says in the parable of the sheep and the goats, you invited me in, it's this idea of hospitality that he's talking about. This is what he has in mind. Hebrews 13 and 12 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's not presenting this as a possibility. It's saying this has already happened. <laughs> by showing hospitality, some have entertained angels. At the macro level, as a church, we do a lot of inviting. And that's where I want to focus this morning is on, as a church, what happens? We invite people in. What happens to those people? How do we interrelate with them? We invite people through a number of ways. We have a web page. We invite people in through the web page. We have a Facebook page. We, we have a Twitter account. You may not know that, but we have a Twitter account, and we do tweet. <laughs> when we have a picnic or host a, a community group that we're inviting in to use the church, um, this year, you may not know it, but the, the fall concert series at the high school is starting up, and we're one of the sponsors this year. You'll find us listed in there. We've done movies at the local cinema last, or was it last Christmas or the Christmas before? We did, we did the um, sponsored Christmas movie downtown. And we have community dinners sometimes. And all of these things, we're kind of saying to people, come on over. Come on in. You're invited. We want you to come in. We want you to be here. And hopefully, along with all of those organized events and activities and invitations, you're inviting too. I hope you're inviting people too. It follows that if we're going to be an inviting people, we need to be ready to be receiving people. If they accept our invitation, what happens? They come in. So what happens when they come in? How do we receive people? Well, I want to look at a couple of places where, where we might work hard for the care of strangers to help them come in among us. The first thing is we need to be inviting people. If you're going to be inviting people, you need to be inviting people. You understand what I'm saying? The stranger needs to find us to be inviting, attractive as Christians, you know? to have some magnetism of some kind, you know, to be welcoming. I'm not talking about having, you know, the latest shoes or wearing your Trump power tie or whatever it is you, you do when you're trying to be attractive. A lot of this has to do with our attitude. 
A lot of this has to do with the effort that we're willing to make in order to achieve a certain level of hospitality. Remember, in all things that we do, we, we seek to be Christ-like, like Jesus. How did Jesus make him feel welcome, help make people feel welcome? I, I'm totally enjoying How many have seen the Chosen video series? Quite a few of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to see it. Because what I love about that series, um, and, and, and there's some fictionalized stuff in there. It's meant to kind of tell you, hey, here's what happened, and here's maybe what it, it might have led up to. What, what are the circumstances? How did it get to be where it was? How did this story come about? So I love the way that they do that. Uh, and they make it very clear when they're using the scripture part. But the thing I love the most is Jesus. The Jesus in this series is just, that's the person I want to go and hang out with. You know? I want him to come and sit at my table. And I want to go and sit at his table. You know, I want to, I want to be a part of this guy's life. Because the Jesus that they present in this series is so inviting and so welcoming and so good at receiving. You know, and that's part of the, part of the story. You know, the chosen. Who are the chosen? You know, and, and Jesus draws these people into his life, and they're forever changed by that. And, and I just love the way that's done. A close friend of mine who died way too young, uh, Dr. Randy Singbeal, uh, he pastored with the Fellowship Baptist Churches in Canada. And, and one time he was invited when he was first starting out to preach for a call at a church in a really small town in Ontario, Canada. And uh, there was a sign on the edge of town as he drove into town, and, and it had their town motto underneath. And the town motto was, where you're a stranger only once. When he got to church, he found the same motto on the church sign. Uh, it said, such and such a church, where you're a stranger only once. Well, late that afternoon, as he drove out of town and he saw that sign again, he thought to himself, yeah, you're a stranger only once because you'll never come back. <laughs> Even the church people were unfriendly. And, and, and they just made it. Some, why would somebody come back to be mistreated or to be ignored, you know, or to be talked down to? Their words and actions didn't match up. And worse... Yet, they were out of sync with the God they worshipped. I doubt very much that most folks would say that about you. Um, from all accounts, you're a pretty welcoming bunch. Just ask Tony over there. How many, how many times did you get greeted before you, from the front door to the sanctuary? At least 20 times people talked to him before he ever entered this room to worship God when they first came been a few years now but three years and and I love that about you I love that you're so welcoming and friendly that is that is so cool um, but you know we can still learn more we can still learn more about how to go to the next level you know because there's that greeting level when we first meet somebody and then there's that next level where we really get to know somebody and where we really begin to assimilate them into the body of Christ there's something so inviting about loving and friendly people. We just want to go back, you know? We, we feel welcomed. We want to return. But if we go and, and people are 
ultimately indifferent to us and our needs are not met in any way, why would somebody return? Why would they? And no amount of friendly exuberance will, will keep people in a church. It's just, you know, it's nice to have, I'm glad we're excited, I'm glad we're friendly. There is a key to reaching the stranger, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, and you know it. It's God's kind of love. You know, we have this memorized from weddings mostly. I like to use it at funerals because I think it's a beautiful passage. You know, it's all these qualities of God's love. It always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres, you know, that whole list. This love never fails because it's the love of God. It's not our human love. It's the love that God puts in our hearts and, and loves through us to other people. This is agape love. This is a self-sacrificial love. This is the love of Christ. You and I can't fake it. We have to have it. You can't fake being a genuinely caring Christian, can you? That'd work. People can see through that pretty fast, especially kids. Kids, can, kids have little antennas for that phoniness, right? If they can see we're only way up here on the surface and we never get deeper and we don't really love, they'll know it. By the same token, you ever watch a kid who goes into the front lobby? Watch who they single out. Watch where they go. It's those genuine, loving, and caring people they, they zero in on and they want to go and be with. They really see it. We've got to be genuinely caring as a body. And I think we have a pretty good start on that. That only comes to us through a deeper relationship with Jesus. We have to care to invite someone to the next level of relationship. Your personal relationships, by the way, will reflect your relationship with God. I found that in my life. You know, is that if I'm having really lousy relationships, if I'm not connecting with people, if I'm, if I'm really struggling in relationships, I find that if I look a little inward, I can realize, oh my goodness, my relationship with God is just not that strong right now. I'm neglecting this or neglecting that in my spiritual disciplines, and my relationships are broken down in some way. But the more I love God, the more I'm able to love other people, and not just on the surface. Guess what? Loving people are inviting people. God's love is attractive. God's love is compelling, especially when it's seen lived out in the lives of believers. If we're going to invite others, then first of all, we need to be inviting people, demonstrating the love of Christ. Now, the second thing we need to be is sensitive people. Obviously, as we use that word sensitive, I know it's been politically corrected, used in certain ways that, you know, sensitive. Well, what does that mean, you know? I'm not talking about crying at movies. There's a place for that. I cry at the drop of a hobbit. But we need to be especially sensitive to people's needs. And this doesn't have to be complicated. It's like exercising a special kind of discernment. And if you listen for it, God's talking to you about this. You listen for it. God's speaking in your heart about this when you meet people, when you're talking with people, when you're engaging. If you listen and get over yourself, 
if you'll listen, God will prompt you to take that conversation somewhere. Special kind of discernment. For example, you know, we may see somebody who's, who's sitting there in a pew on a Sunday morning, and they are so sad. And you can tell they're sad. You can tell they're down or depressed. Or, uh, and, and that observation is an open door to caring. And that arm around, and that little extra prayer that you say for them, and that asking and then listening. That's part of that. Kind word. You're a fellow traveler. You're all on a journey. We're all going someplace, right? We're all headed for the same place if we love Jesus. We're all headed for heaven. That's our destination. And, and we need to come alongside fellow travelers and, and embrace them and encourage them and build them up and take them along with us when they're having a hard time walking in that direction. Right? Is that an amen? And you know, just listening is so powerful. So powerful. We could be sensitive to people's backgrounds. You know, not everybody has a church background. And you may not have noticed this, but we speak a whole different language in church. Right? <laughs> You're nodding your head back there. You're experiencing that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because we spend to spe tend to speak in a language that we've learned over a period of years. And more and more people have no church background at all. And so, where does that take us? What does it say for how we conduct outreach services, or the kind of music we play, or the kind of Bible translation we use, or the phrases that we speak. Today, we can't assume that everybody understands all of the current Christian buzzwords. That just isn't so. You ever been in a conversation with people who are not church people, and you use the word sanctified? You ever throw that into a conversation somewhere? That word sanctified, would they understand what you're talking about? What in the world? Imagine somebody with no prior church experience and you say to them, I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You what? You've been washed in blood? What is this, a cult? I'm out of here. You know? We speak a whole different language. There are a lot of words and expressions that we understand because we've heard them all these years and, and now we're the initiated, but people outside the churches wouldn't understand that. It's because you're speaking Christianese. It's its own language, and it's not very helpful. And so we need to learn how to sometimes adjust our language and to speak plainly, to not use the buzzwords, because it's not really helpful if you're reaching people. And we can't assume also that people know how to use a Bible. Uh, does it, I don't know if you remember, some of you folks have been Christians a long time, a lot of years, and so, so you know, you, you can't think of a time when you didn't know how to use the Bible. But that wasn't true for those of us who came into the church as an adult. I didn't, you know, I came to Lord, at, I was 22, I think I was, and, and I didn't know how to use a Bible. I remember one of our Canadian directors, when I was serving in a church up in Canada, uh, one of our Canadian church leaders talked about when he went to the church for the first time and Bob said he felt totally stupid so much that he almost didn't come back. Because he said the pastor said to turn to a certain passage in the Bible and he couldn't find it. 
And, and he was struggling. He was trying to find He really wanted to go there. And he didn't know how, to, how a hymnal worked either. He'd never seen a hymnal before. And you got to admit, it kind of is a funny book if you've never seen it before. You know, and there are things that we do in church that, that you never see anywhere else. I mean, where else do you sit on pews? Uh, or call a, a potluck a fellowship meal, you know? We call them that. When Bob went to church, he desperately needed some help, and he didn't know how to ask. And, you know, he said after fumbling about looking for the Bible passage that they referenced in the morning, he said he just sat there and pretended he was at the right spot. Right? We need to be sensitive about the fact that church is a strange atmosphere to the uninitiated. Some churches I've been in make a really big deal if you come as a visitor for the first time. Have them stand up or raise their hand or have them stay seated while the other people stand. That happened to Bonnie and I in a church. We were visiting a church and, and, uh, and the whole congregation stood up and we were sitting there and, and we didn't realize that they were looking at us. And, and somebody, <laughs> this is just, it was so raw, somebody just looked at us and said, so who are you? This is in the middle of a worship service. <laughs> I won't tell you where that was. <laughs> Rick Warren and his wife attended a church one time where they were asked to stand up and the whole church sang a little song to them to welcome them. Now, what happens if your personality is such that, that you might faint dead away in a situation like that? You know? We need to have some discernment. We need to, to be careful in our conversations. We need to be careful about how we receive people. Too often, Christians also get heavily politicized. That ever happened to you? Get in a conversation, it suddenly goes political on you? It's like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where to go with this. Um, we assume that everybody thinks like us. I have actually had people say over the years... Um, that they felt most unwelcome in the church because somebody at a service, either before service time or oh, I've had it happen at a sharing time. We don't do sharing times like that here anymore. Uh, and the reason we don't is because stuff happens. I can remember guys getting up on a Sunday morning. It's supposed to be a praise time or a prayer time, you know, request a prayer or give a praise for God. And we're up there and we're, we're you know, we're talking about our favorite political party. I've seen that happen. And then I also remember there was, you know, one church I served in many years ago. Uh, this fellow was dead, so, you know, life is good. I can talk about him. But, but he used to get up on Sunday mornings, and he used to praise the Lord for his money. All the money he had and all the things he could do with his money and the house that he just bought and the new car that he just got and the thing he got his wife. And sitting next to him in the pew was a single mom who couldn't afford enough money that their kids could have the meals at school. And I'm thinking, what? So we stopped doing it. It's just, it wasn't glorifying to God. It was taking away from God. And it wasn't welcoming to the stranger. It was glorifying ourselves. And we just stopped. We need to be sensitive also to people's life situations, you know? Where are they coming from? Because if we start spouting off about everything we've got, we're going to be rubbing salt in their wounds. If we're really serious about receiving people into the church, we, we need to pray about it. We need to consider some of the real practical issues with people. If we make it hard for a visitor, then we make it hard for them to come back. 
That's the way it works. You know, we're currently beginning to have a conversation about how we receive people. So we, we talked about it at the board level, and we just talked about it at the church health team, and we're going to talk about it at the next months as well. And we need to start thinking about how we receive people and what helps the most. How do we show hospitality in a serious way, in a loving way, in a way that's not overwhelming? <laughs> Sometimes we're so desperate to have people stay, we just overwhelm them. <laughs> so we need to be careful with that, too. Remember, the key to receiving people is loving them like Jesus would, with his kind of love. And his kind of love increases the awareness that we have with other people. Those are just a few areas of consideration. There are some others as well. But there's one more I, I want to talk about, and that is we need to be sacrificial people. Now, remember we talked about the word agape, the agape love. Agape has built into it as a definition. There are three kinds of love that are listed in the Bible. There are four kinds of love in the, in the Greek culture. And, and Jesus singles out and uses uh, often, almost always, except in one or two instances, he uses the word agape. And the word agape means a kind of love that puts the needs and concerns of the other person first. One that sacrifices self in the way that Jesus sacrificed. Pretty important word. It's a different kind of love. And so when I say that we need to be sacrificial people, I mean that we need to express that kind of love. In order to welcome others into the church and in our homes for the sake of Jesus, sometimes we need to set aside our personal preferences so that others can be included. Ooh, is that close to home? I'm so glad that the old system of paying for your pew in church has passed away. Did you know about that? People actually bought their pew and maintained it financially through the year. Pews are high back. They had little doors in the end so that they could be locked, and big partitions were there between you and the next family. Any visitors who came, we saw this kind of church in Boston when we visited there. Uh, visitors, and this is going back, you know, 100 years, but but visitors would have to sit in the back or up in the balcony, and if there were no pews there at all, they might have to just stand at the back during the service. Strangers were not only ill-considered, they were literally shut out. It's a story, a famous story of a church in England that decided it didn't like its preacher, so they locked all the pews. That was their way of trying to force them out, keep everybody out. Guess what is the favorite seat in the church today? This one right up here, right? See all these people sitting up here? See all these people sitting in the second row? Couple in the third. I love you guys. <laughs> Brave people. But most of us sit towards the back, right? Well, what happens when a guest comes in on a Sunday morning? It means when they come in, especially if they come in a little bit late, they have to walk all the way past you people. And, and, and they have to, you know, they're getting, everybody's doing the googly eye thing at them, just checking them out as they're going by. 
That makes us feel real comfortable, doesn't it? So you know what I mean when I'm saying about, you know, sometimes we have to make sacrifices. You know, we, have, we all have our favorite pews. I went to a, another church one time, and I sat in somebody's spot. And that person came up the aisle, and they stood in the aisle, and they looked at me like this, and I almost died. I was, I was scared. <laughs> I didn't know what would happen if I didn't move out of that person's spot. You know, sometimes we have to make sacrifices so that we can make other people comfortable. You know, the true, that was true, you know, the worship wars we had over the years where it was hymns or praise choruses, hymns or praise choruses, and then we decided, hey, we kind of like both. <laughs> so we started doing both, and then people who were not church background people, they, that sounds more like a song I would hear on the radio. That sounds like a song I would sing as I'm doing my housework, you know? We had to make some changes. You know, the little things add up to really big stuff. Hospitality isn't just one thing. It's a whole bunch of things that we do, and it all kind of adds up together. Like sitting with a guest instead of sitting with our best buddies on a Sunday morning. Like inviting people to a meal after church and showing them around the nursery, or not giving ourselves special privileges. We have to be prepared to receive, to provide shelter. More and more people are seeking shelter from the storm of life. And we need to be that shelter. We need to be those people. Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance like the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer the Lord, saying, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. You may have heard this story, but uh, Mahatma Gandhi was once asked to leave a Christian church because he was the wrong color. Later on, he was asked about Christianity, and he said, I would have become a Christian if I could have become convinced that I ever met one. That's condemning. Lord Jesus, forgive us for those times when we do not receive you by receiving others. Forgive us for not loving when we could have loved others, creating us a warm and inviting heart. Let us be prepared to receive those you have sent our way, and let us be Jesus for those who may never see you any other way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.